We ask you to put fresh words of faith, comfort, healing, and salvation into the mouths of your people around the world. Give pastors in their congregation the words they need to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. We pray that through this prayer of faith today, fear and worry will lose its grip on our world. We declare, Lord, we ask you to shield us, our families, our churches, our cities and nations from the world, from on the world, from the ravages of COVID-19. Lord, we ask you to shield all our doctors, nurses, first responders, and vulnerable people from contracting COVID-19. And Lord, we ask you to shield the world from panic and despair as your church boldly proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ in this uncertain time. May people find true comfort and peace in their souls as they call upon your name. We humbly ask all of these things in the powerful name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue to pray. Father, as we prepare for the rest of this service and for the Word of God to go forth, we thank you, first of all, for our those that are in leadership and authority over our lives, from our president down to our governors, especially Governor Raimondo and Governor Baker. Father, these leaders have to make difficult decisions, and they need your wisdom, and they need your strength, and they need your protection. And we ask you for that today. Father, we also pray for those that give them counsel. We believe you have put men and women that know you in places, critical places, to help them and give them counsel. And we pray, Father, for the pastors around this area and around this nation and even around the world right now, that on this resurrection day, Father, that your, world will, your word will come forth boldly and in power, not at all stopped by all these things in this crisis, but the power of your spirit. And we pray for that here today, Father, for those that have come out here to sit in their cars, those that are listening by radio, and those that are watching by Facebook, YouTube, and whatever other means. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God will speak to us, because you are a God who speaks to us. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, we're going to talk this morning about um, this time we're in right now, and it's a challenging time. Um, as soon as I can find my notes here, here we go. Um, we're living in a time that we've never really seen. In fact, I don't think the world's ever fully seen a time like this. Um, we're living in a time... Yeah. Amen. We're living in a time... Um, I can't find my... Here we go. My notes. That's the one difficulty in using a... Uh, here we go. We're living in a time when the world is scared. There's, a, there's a, a, something let loose on the world right now that's almost beyond our technical ability to handle. But we live, we're, say, we're living in a day that's the resurrection day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And as I thought about today, I realized back when I was reading about and thinking about what the disciples must have gone through. We look back at Easter Sunday or Resurrection Day because we know what happened. But as they entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that first day of the week before, they had no idea what was going to happen. These are men that had literally given up everything. They'd given up their lives. They've given up their livelihood. They've given up all kinds of things to follow this man because they believe with all their heart he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God, and he had called them to follow them. And they had gone through three amazing years with him, watching him heal blind eyes, watching him 
straighten out uh, crooked limbs, watching him uh, threaten to be stoned and yet walk away as if nothing could happen. They watched nothing able to touch him. They'd seen him as they were fell asleep, as he fell asleep on a boat going through a terrible storm and they had seen him speak to storms and tell them to be still and to be quiet. And they marveled at what kind of man was this. And then to me, one of the most amazing things is in the middle of another storm, he comes walking to them on the water. And they were afraid that it was a ghost. And he said, no, it's I, be not afraid. And he brought the boat safely to the other side. So they were confident and, and, and they were aware that Jerusalem could be a, a dangerous place at that time. But they entered the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And it was, it was a picture of total victory. The, the, the people came out in the streets and they laid down palm leaves. And they treated it as if it was a triumphant entry of a king. And I imagine what was going through their minds is everything they've given up everything for is going to come to its culmination and we're going to see it happen. This is what we have been given this unique spot to see. And as they entered into that week, things suddenly began to change. Jesus began to do some strange things, things that were not likely to promote his ministry. He goes to the temple one day and he gets angry at the money changers that were out there in the front of the temple. And he doesn't just rebuke them. He goes around and he tips their tables over and he takes a, a rope and he makes a cord out of it and he starts beating them and driving them out of the temple. And then he gathers with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they begin to ask him penetrating questions. And he starts calling them names. He starts calling them uh, 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 vipers and snakes. He said, you're nothing but a, a whitewashed sepulcher or a tomb full of dead man's bones. And they get very offended at this. And then he begins to tell stories about what the end times are going to be. And these are not comforting stories. These are scary stories. He talks about the temple is going to fall down. These are not stories. These are not actions that are likely to promote a, a, a victorious end to this ministry. But instead what gradually happens is the authorities who were already looking for an excuse now realize they have to get rid of this man. And we're gonna, they plan to arrest him. They plan to get, have one of his disciples betray him. And they concoct this scheme so that they can find some way to crucify him and to get rid of him. And that's exactly what they do. And then Jesus describes what the final judgment is going to be like. And as the week draws to an end and the atmosphere in Jerusalem begins to change, and all of this happens suddenly, all of this happens in the space of one week. And now on Thursday night, and then on Friday, the impossible happens. Out in the garden where he's praying, soldiers show up. And whereas Jesus all before was able to walk through every opposition, Suddenly, as if he lays everything down, and they seize him, and they arrest him. And you can imagine the fear that begins to grip these men. And Jesus is taken away, and he's brought into the, to have a trial at the high priest's home. And they're scared, and Peter goes along, and, and this Peter, who's known as the rock, Jesus called him the rock, Peter caves in under the fear, not of what's going to happen to Jesus, but the fear of what's going to happen to him. 
he panics. And when a young girl three times asks him, aren't you one of these disciples? He denies that he even knows him, Peter the Rock. That's the measure of the fear that they must have been in. They see him captured. Then they see him taken over to Pilate's court. And they watch him publicly tried. And they see people cry out for his, his death and to be crucified. And they're hiding in the shadows because they don't want to be recognized. And I can't imagine the panic and the fear that must have been going through their minds as everything they've staked their life on suddenly is being taken away from them. And then those that stayed near, and there weren't many, the rest of them fled, watch him beaten horribly, beyond recognition. And they see him taken up to the hill of the Golgotha. And they watch this Savior, they watch the Messiah, the one on whom they had all their hopes. They watch him nailed to a cross. And they watch him die like any other man. The two thieves, one on either side. And then they see his body taken down and taken away. And they had to be in terrible shock. And I wonder what went on that next morning, that Sabbath morning, that Saturday morning, when they're gathered together as a cluster in this upper room or whatever room they're in. What's going through their mind and they're trying to deal with the fear? Because now once he's gone, are the authorities going to come after them? Are they going to be looking for them? And when you have fear like that, you start questioning everyone around you. Can I trust? They've already seen one of their own portray them. Can they trust one another? Can they, are, are they going to have soldiers knocking at the door? Is it safe to go out and get food? Is it safe to go anywhere? Because they may be caught. And they may be executed also. All of this happened suddenly. Think of that, how suddenly that was in one week. All of this happened dramatically. Everything's turned upside down. Everything they put their hopes on now looks like it's dead and they're left on their own without any hope. You know, as I was thinking about that, I realized that's not very different from where we are today. We were on vacation in February and came back here the very first of March. And we were aware that something was going on. We'd read stories about things going on in China. And then while we were away, we saw stories about things going on in, in Europe. And you, but, you know, those are, that's far away. I mean, China's on the other part of the world. And, and Europe is partly far away. So those problems are out there, and we may care about them. And we came back, and, and really, as I look back, in one short week, suddenly, our world's turned upside down. Not just the world, your world and my world's turned upside down. Just like those disciples, is it safe to go out? Is it safe to be around people? You don't know who you can trust. Have they contracted this virus and don't, don't know they have it yet? They were huddled together in one room together. And we're now forced to be huddled together in our cars this morning, huddled together in our homes. People are dying from a threat 
that we can't even see. We don't even know where it is right now. I had to have Doug wipe this down because I don't know what children have played up in here. So we've got to be careful. What can I touch? And what can I touch? And we have no assurance of when this is going to end. So just like those disciples over 2,000 years ago, these uncertainties, all these sudden changes of things we've trusted in, engender fear. Fear of what's going to happen. And that fear drives us into ourselves. And it steals our hope. The very things that you may have had planned in your life. Well, for today, many of you had, had, had family events planned. Many of you may have had vacations planned. Many of you have had things planned and, and school vacations were planned. I know my own family's school vacation plans have been just totally disrupted. Things we were looking forward to, things we were hoping in, have suddenly been taken away from us and suddenly been endangered. And what are we left with? And that can be scary, just as they were afraid. But my friends and my brothers and sisters, we come today to remember that although Friday came and Saturday came, there was Sunday morning when they went out to that tomb. And on that resurrection day, everything changed. It is the most significant event in the history of mankind after the creation and the fall. It's, like any, it's unlike any other event that's ever happened. There have been religious leaders that have started things, such as Muhammad and others, and, but they've all died. I went and looked at the, at the, at the history of some of them. And in the Encyclopedia Britannica, there's the date they were born and there's the date they were died. And you can go to where their grave is and you can find their bones. Yes, there have been people that have been raised from the dead. There have been people raised from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead. And on the day he was died, the graves opened and many were raised from the dead. But everyone that's been raised from the dead other than Jesus died eventually and their bones are in their graves. This man, when he was raised from the dead, he never went back. He's alive today. And he is alive with a body unlike the body that he had when he walked on this earth. Oh, it may look the same, but he's alive today with an immortal, resurrected, eternal body that could walk through walls, that could come and go wherever he pleased, was not subject to decay. It was the day that everything turned around. It was the day when Satan's power and grip over this world was defeated, when the power of sin over our lives was broken. It's the day when his kingdom was, had to bow its knee. It says in 1 John that for this purpose Jesus came, that he might destroy the works of the evil one. Well, there may be works going on of the evil one in the world today, but the ultimate victory and the ultimate power that he has over the world has been defeated and broken. And the sign of that victory is an empty tomb. The sign of that victory is a risen Savior, and he's your Savior, and he's my Savior, and he's come to be the Savior of the world. But what does that resurrection have to do with us today. 
As I thought about this, I, I realized that when those disciples went through that challenging time, when they went through that time, when they thought everything was lost, that what they thought is that God had lost control. They thought that, that this was the end. In the reality, God was working a plan. God had a plan. The Bible says that if the rulers and authorities of this world had known what they were doing, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Because Caiaphas thought, the high priest, that by crucifying Christ, he was going to get rid of his problem. Satan thought that by crucifying the Son of God, he was going to get rid of his problem. And what they did not realize is they were falling into a trap by which their very power and their very authority was going to be defeated. So the first thing we realize is in Jesus' trial, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. God was completely in control throughout that whole process. And the God that was in control throughout that process is the same God that's here today and the same God that's alive and the same God that's in control of what's going on right now. So we may not see the victory yet. We may not see how this is going to turn out yet. But we know that our God who serves us, that God who loves us, that God who sent his son to die for us, that God has things well under control and he is working in this time in ways you and I may not even begin to dream about but we can put our confidence in that God just as the disciples learned to do and once he was raised from the dead it changed them now these men that were afraid and hidden were now bold and confident what changed them? They had seen the risen Christ. They had seen that their God brought them victory out of the, the apparent defeat. And we have that same God at work in our lives today. The second thing we look at is that just as what Satan meant for destruction by crucifying the Son of God, God used to defeat him. And God is going to use what Satan meant to destroy the church and to destroy the lives of people. God is going to use that. In fact, he already is using this in order to bring victory into people's lives. You've heard, me, you've heard me talk about the ills of social media, and I know many of you are on it. But one thing I began to realize this week is although many people's lives have been destroyed by social media, the gospel is, the, the social media of the world is being saturated with the gospel right now. The gospel, our, our services and many services are now going out to far more people than it ever went to when they came to church. Yeah. The third thing is that the resurrection defeated the power of death over us. So I want to read a scripture to you out of Hebrews chapter 2. Inasmuch then as the children partake of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The root of all fear, the Bible says, is the fear of death. What grips us when we see these death, these death statistics is the fear that we're going to die or our relatives are going to die or something, someone dear to us is going to die. But the fear of death is what happens after that. And Satan's power over death has been defeated. So Jesus came to destroy the power of death. 
What's the worst thing that can happen to you with this? You die. And what happens when you die? You close your eyes here and you open your eyes there. I have never heard a testimony of one person that's seen into heaven that was glad that they came back into their bodies. Once you get a glimpse of heaven, you never want to come back. It is that glorious and that wonderful. And that's what awaits us. And the third thing, so the third thing is Jesus' resurrection defeated the power of death over us. Now what I want to begin to do I want to begin to look at the Apostle Paul. This is a man that faced things like you and I will never face. This is a man who was bringing the gospel into the world in places that never, that obviously didn't have it. And he was faced in incredible opposition. If you read in 2 Corinthians, it talks about there were three or four times he was, Jesus was scourged once. He was beaten the same way three or four times. He was shipwrecked and left in the deep by night and a day. And most of the Gospels, the Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians were written while he was in jail. Not a jail like you and I would see if we were to go to jail today. This is literally a hole in a rock, and that's where he was put down. And while he was in there, he was victorious. And he wrote three of the most important letters of the New Testament. Because whatever Satan did against him, it could not stop the gospel. And what he's doing today, COVID-19, cannot and will not stop the gospel. But how could he do that? Well, let's look at some things. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. He said, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die daily. But if, in, if the, in the manner of men I fought with a wild beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me only if the dead don't raise? Then let's just eat, drink, and tomorrow we die. Paul is saying, if there's no resurrection, if there's no life after this, if there's no reward, then why did I go through all this? Why do I deal with what I've dealt with? He said, if that's true, then we might as well just get the best out of a life, enjoy it, and just go out in a, in a blaze of glory. But he says, I know there's a resurrection. And then he goes on and says a little later, he says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the king. Excuse me, I'm ahead of myself. In the same way, with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, and they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried in human natural bodies, but they will raise as spiritual bodies. For just as our natural bodies, so are our spiritual bodies. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For the corruptible must put on incorruptible, the mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. This is what I wanted to get to. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Jesus' resurrection took the sting out of death. When your body breathes its last, I've done this before, and those of you that are on the radio, you can't see this, but this is what it's like. It's like taking off your coat and just casting it aside, and you're free. So I say to you today, I say to COVID-19, I say to this virus that's trying to bring fear into the hearts of believers, I pray to this say to this virus, where is your sting? Where is the sting of death? Because there's victory in death through Christ Jesus. Now Paul goes on. Yeah, amen. Paul goes on to say this. Now he talks to them. Therefore, my beloved brethren, and this is where this whole message leads up to, be steadfast. Don't be moved. Immovable. All, always abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast because... This has no authority over us. Because fear has no authority over us. Because there's victory in Christ Jesus. Because of that, my brethren, be steadfast. Be immovable. Don't be shaken in where you are. Yes, your plans may be, have changed. Yes, things that your life has been around, built on, may now be turned upside down. But the Bible says, and you've heard me say this many times, the Bible says there will come a day when everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that only those things that are of God will remain. I don't know if this is that day, but I know there are things being shaken today. So that means whatever remains is what is of God. And those are the only things that are valuable and eternal. So what do we have today? We have our families. We have one another. We have the relationship that we have with one another, and we have the relationship we have with Christ. You've heard me say many times that there may come a day when all we have is Jesus and each other, but that's all we need. The second thing he says here is, is in knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's a work to do right now. This is not a time to be afraid. This is not a time to panic. This is a time to be bold. God was not taken by surprise in this. In fact, I believe with all my heart, God wants to use this to deepen the commitment of believers. God wants to use this because people are looking for answers now, and the world can't give them. They're doing their very best. They're trying their hardest, but they don't have the ultimate answers. Only God has an answer, and he's the one they're going to have to turn to. So it's going to be a time when people are forced to make decisions, and that's good. There's been so much complacency, there's been so much satisfaction, and there's been so, weakness, so much weakness and commitment, and that's going to end, because people have got to know why they're coming to church. You're here this morning because you want to be here. There's, there's, you're here this morning because it means something to you, and that's what God is trying to draw out of us. So I believe with all my heart, and I've heard others say this, when this first hit and this became aware Several a number of weeks ago, 
I looked inside myself and began to pray. And instead of fear that started to try to grip me, I felt God on the inside standing up and saying, begin to look inside. I have things for you to do, things for you to say. And I'm going to be speaking, God, I'm going to be speaking to my people in a bold way. And they're going to listen because this is the hour. We're on the verge of a great outpouring. We're on the verge of of a time when there's going to be a great harvest because the end isn't far away. Jesus is coming back. We've known this for a long time. And so this is part of the preparation. The Bible talks about the early the, the time of sorrow, which is the beginning of the birth pangs. That may well be this. But he says that as words of comfort and assurance. We should be comforted. God wants to use every one of you to do what he's called you to do in this hour. And so this is the time for us to become serious and become focused. Focus in our time in God's word, because the word of God is your strength. Focus in time in prayer. We're going to bear down his prayer in this church like we've never done before. We're going to commit times to prayer like we've never done before because it's necessary and God's impressing that on my heart. And your families today, take time to pray in your home. Whether you've got people coming or not, whatever you're doing, your home is the sanctuary. On that very first Passover, they gathered in their homes. They didn't gather in the synagogue. They gathered in their homes to celebrate that Passover together. And as they did that, the, 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 the plague passed over their house. And they, the, what followed that was a time of deliverance and a time of victory. And I've heard prophecies that say that's what we're in right now. So use the time that you have clustered together. What Satan meant to separate us is going to strengthen us. He's going to strengthen your families, family devotions, family time and prayer. Another thing is to begin to reach out to people. I know you're doing that. Reach out through the phones, through texting. Check on one another. Care for one another. Pray for one another. And this is going to be a time like we've never seen before. Praise God. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God. What a beautiful sight you are today. I've never preached preached from a jungle gym before. (laughs) This is different. Praise the Lord. Well, as we begin to wind down and close this down, I want to share something because I know you're all here and the ones that are coming, I can't see all your faces. But most of you, I believe, are part of... Yeah. Most of you are part of this church. But we have people watching on Facebook and people listening maybe by way of the radio that this victory that I've talked about is something where you're getting excited about it. They may not be able to understand this. They may look and say, what, what can you possibly see as positive in this? And the difference is this. We're celebrating, we're honking horns, and we're excited Because Jesus is not just an historical figure who we read was raised from the dead over 2,000 years ago. But Jesus has been raised from the dead in our hearts, in our lives also. See, Jesus is not just an historical figure. Jesus is the risen Lord and Savior. He is the Son of God. And He is alive today. And the Bible says that he wants to knock at the door of your heart. It says, behold, I stand at the door of knock. If you'll just open the door of your heart and allow me to come in, my father and I will come in and we will live in you. God loves you 
more than you'll ever begin to know. The Bible says God doesn't just love you from heaven and look down on you with warm feelings, but God did something to show his love. That while we were yet sinners, and the Bible says we were enemies of God, while we were in that state, God loved us so much that he stepped out of heaven to become a man and to live among us for 33 years. And then at the appointed time, which we've talked about today, God sent his son to be cruelly beaten and die on a cross. And then on that cross, God took your sin and my sin and laid it on him. And then God poured out on his son his judgment for your sin and for my sin. And so Jesus said that in order into heaven, you've got to come into heaven through him. The only way when you die to have a confidence when you die of where you're going to go is to know that you have received Jesus Christ into your life as the one that paid for your sin. And when you've done that, you'll be able to stand before God literally in his righteousness, not in your own. If you've never done that before, I want to pray with you right now and give you the opportunity to make that decision. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad or how good you've been. It has nothing to do with you. It's an act of your will to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and to ask him to come into your life and into your heart. So I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you've done that for the first time, you need to...